truth, beauty, freedom, love. Hear about our trip to the Moulin Rouge today on the, the Twins, Twins on Tour, Tour podcast. podcast. Hi, I'm Julie Book. I'm Jenny Bradley. And this is the, the Twins, Twins on Tour, Tour podcast. podcast. And today we're going to be talking about our trip to see Moulin Rouge at the Key Bank State Theater. We were in the big one this time. We were. Yes, we went on Tuesday, June 20th, and it's the 27th, so we did a way better job because Julie's off of school of getting down and recording in a timely manner. Ooh, I have a life. It's summer. (laughs) (laughs) As we said at the end of our last episode, we kind of have a storied history with Moulin Rouge. As you guys know, this is based off of the 2001 film Moulin Rouge by Baz Luhrmann. Very, very huge production. I'll say that right off the bat. This was a huge... avant if you will. Yeah, this was a huge production. Um, You'll hear all about our thoughts on that here in a few minutes. But when we were youngins, you know, back in the good old aughts... Um, <laughs> back when, you know, Netflix sent you DVDs and you would go to the video store to see movies. Yeah, this was pre-Netflix even. Yeah. The movie Moulin Rouge came out. And anyone who knows us knows that we have an older brother named Bob... Who is the host of Film and Whiskey Podcast. Check it out. Yes, he was a movie buff back then, continues to be to this day. Very good podcast. He better shout us out because we shouted him out. (laughs) But Bob was a big movie buff from an early age. And when Moulin Rouge went to, you know, the Eagle video at the Giant Eagle here in good old Ohio, Bob rented Moulin Rouge. And we would do this pretty much weekly with our mom or dad where they'd take us to rent a movie for the weekend we would always choose something along the mary kate nashley lines or disney or you know anything like that bob was choosing things that were gonna win best picture at the oscars and such and most of the time he was right yeah so he rented the movie moulin rouge because what we would do is we'd watch our movie and then we'd switch with bob so we had two movies to watch every weekend and our dad and mom would usually watch those movies with us And so we pop in good old Moulin Rouge, Bob's pick one weekend, and we lasted maybe four minutes into it. Because anyone who's seen a Baz Luhrmann movie knows it's weird. It's an acquired taste for sure. His cinematography is just something, it is an acquired taste. It's huge, it's colorful, it's blinding at times even. Mm -hmm. And that is one thing that I will say, that style translated so well to the stage in this production. It really did. It really did. Yeah, so it was a not very successful movie-watching experience for us, but a very successful trip to the theater to see Moulin Rouge for the Twins on Tour here. Like I said, it is based on the 2001 movie starring Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor. Did they sing in the movie? Because I still haven't seen the movie. Have you? I have not seen the movie. My husband, actually, his two older sisters made them watch it all the time. They do. The movie is a musical, yes. Okay. Okay, so yeah, Nicole Kidman, Ewan McGregor, two people I would not cast in a musical, must be good singers at least. So Baz Luhrmann came out with this movie. It was instantly a huge success, especially in like, you know, the more artsy circles. As soon as 2002, so not even a full year after this movie came out, speculation started that Baz Luhrmann was trying to adapt this for a stage show. The aim was Las Vegas, which when you see this show now, you could absolutely see how that could have been a huge Vegas spectacular back in 2002. Nothing came of it, though. Then again, in 2006, Baz Luhrmann said in an interview that he had approached the leads from the film, Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, to reprise their roles in a stage version of Moulin Rouge. But again, nothing happened with this. So it kind of just sat there from 2001 when the movie came out on of everyone saying, oh, this should be a stage show. 
Finally, in 2016, it was announced that a stage musical was being developed by Global Creatures with direction by Alex Timbers, who did Beetlejuice. And I'm going to... Side s- note. Yeah. Yes. Sidebar. Alex Timbers is also who directed Beetlejuice on Broadway. Mm-hmm. So this year, we were discussing this when we were leaving the show. It was very funny because up to this point, Beetlejuice had the best set, in my opinion, for this mm-hmm. season so far. And I'm going to say another hot take here in a second. Moulin Rouge, also an Alex Timbers, amazing set. Mm-hmm. Here's my hot take. I know that at least in two previous podcasts, for sure, we praised the Cave of Wonders from Aladdin and said that was the most beautiful set I've ever seen. Not anymore. The set for Moulin Rouge is the most beautiful, dynamic set I have ever seen on stage. Yeah. If you take anything from this podcast, I will tell you right now, It is worth it alone just for the set. You don't even have to listen to the music or watch anything else. If you just stare at the set for the three hours that you're there, it's worth the money. But again, Alex Timbers, who also did Beetlejuice, I will say, we'll do another sidebar here before we get back to background information about the show. When you walked in, it was very similar vibes to Beetlejuice where there was lighting in a pattern going around the theater. And I will take this... I will say this to my grave. It was the exact same song that was playing before Beetlejuice, playing before Moulin Rouge. It sounded like it to me, too. Um, Moulin Rouge's was sexier and like, ooh, ah. Whereas Beetlejuice was like, wee. Yeah. Yeah. It was different vibes, but the same music. So very similar vibes. You could see that Alex Timbers had a hand in that part of the production, I think, because it was in both shows that he directed. A workshop for Moulin Rouge took place from October 30th to December 15th of 2017. It starred Aaron Tveit, Broadway's baby. Broadway's baby boy. (laughs) Next to Normal, Catch Me If You Can, The Roxanne Option Up from Moulin Rouge. That's viral on TikTok that girls swoon over. That's him. We'll get back to him and his run in this show here in a few minutes. And Karen Olivo from In the Heights. They played the two main characters of Christian and Satine on Broadway. It began preview performances at Emerson Colonial Theater in Boston. So it did its out-of-town tryout in Boston. It was scheduled to officially open on July 22nd, 2018. And it was supposed to complete its run on August 5th of that year. However, it was extended by 16 additional performances due to the overwhelming demand once people started hearing about this show. The production features choreography by Sonia Tay, who has been a successful choreographer for So You Think You Can Dance on TV. Sets by Derek McLean, who did a lot of shows, but I just put one in here, which was Beautiful, the Carol Keene musical, which also had beautiful sets. Mm-hmm. Costumes by Katherine Zuber, who did the South Pacific revival. Lighting design by Justin Townsend, who did the newly opening in previews still, I think, that caused some controversy, Here Lies Love. Mm-hmm. On Broadway, they had a whole thing about they weren't going to have live musicians. It was going to be, in my opinion, like a middle school production of Guys and Dolls, where it was like the teacher in the back like playing it off of the CD. That's literally what they're going to do for a Broadway show. Way to just call out our middle school production of Guys and Dolls. Well, and, and Fiddler on the Roof and what we do... Aladdin we did Aladdin too yeah no all of them had just you know an underpaid teacher just hitting play on the CD player <laughs> several times through different shows the wrong song would start playing and all that that's literally they're going to do on Broadway like no hire musicians yeah and Peter Halinski who did Rock of Ages did the sound design for this show on November 19th, 2018, it was announced that Moulin Rouge would open on Broadway at the Al Hirschfeld Theater. Previews began on Broadway on June 28th of 2019, and opening night was July 25th of that year. 
The production received mixed to positive reviews, the sets being the thing that was most noticeably highlighted throughout most of the positive reviews. And we'll talk about what some of the mixed reviews were because I tend to agree with them, but we'll talk about that here when we get to our review of the touring production. Um, The production, of course, closed in 2020 due to COVID and it resumed on September 24th of 2021. At the 74th Tony Awards, Moulin Rouge received a total of 14 nominations and won 10 awards. It was the most of the evening, including Best Musical and Best Actor in a Musical. So, yeah, the reason that Moulin Rouge won so much, there were only like four shows eligible for the 74th Tonys, correct? Yeah, because this was in the midst of COVID. Several shows had not had a chance to open yet. For example, Six the Musical, the day that Broadway shut down was supposed to be their opening night, so they were therefore deemed not eligible for the Tonys that year. Mm -hmm. There was a much smaller pool of eligible shows to choose from. There were only four original musicals eligible for Best Musical. Only three of them were nominated, which was Moulin Rouge, Jagged Little Pill, and Tina. Just off of the two of the three that we've seen, I would agree that Moulin Rouge was a better Broadway musical. Yeah, I agree as well. It did not have as much competition as a regular Tony year would have. Um, If there were some of those other musicals that were supposed to have been open by this point in the mix, I don't know if Moulin Rouge would have won, but that's, you know, would have, could have, should have at that point. Well, plus there was a teeny tiny bit of controversy. Aaron Tveit was the only person nominated in the category of best actor in a musical. There was a production of The Lightning Thief, that, that based on the book and the Disney Plus show coming out later this year. Mm-hmm. A lot of people were upset because it played on Broadway about for a month, I think, like around Christmas time. It was a very short run, but it was supposed to be. It was a limited run to begin with. A lot of people were upset that the actor who had played Percy Jackson wasn't at least nominated because they were eligible. Some people felt that in a way it diminished Aaron Tveit's Tony one because he. it was basically... So what ha- happened for that is... Aaron Tveit, it was very possible Aaron Tveit maybe could have not won a Tony that year. Mm -hmm. If Aaron Tveit did not get a certain percentage of the Tony votes for Best Actor in a Musical, so if a bunch of people just left that part of the ballot blank, Aaron Tveit would have not won a Tony, even though he was the only person nominated. Just because you're the only person nominated does not automatically guarantee you a Tony win. Could you imagine how embarrassing that would have been if he's, you know, sitting there at the ceremony like, hot dog, I'm going to win a Tony, and they're like, and the winner is no one. And he's just sitting there like, womp, womp. Like, I would get up and leave. I would leave immediately. I have a feeling if for some reason he would have not met that certain, I want to say it's 60%. I want to say it's about a majority. If there's only one person, I think, you know, it's it's not 60% if there's pe- actual people nominated. But yeah. So I think if he would have not met that percentage, there was, I want to say a Playbill article that said, like, they would have notified him and his people ahead of time, and he would have not gone to the Tonys. They would have just skipped the category entirely. That would have been good. Because I'm just, like, picturing that on national team. The winner is no one. (laughs) And back to our background on Moulin Rouge. The show has been pretty much a success everywhere. It's opened. It's got productions in the West End. Australia, South Korea, Germany, and Japan currently, and they launched a national tour last year of Moulin Rouge, which is what we are going to be reviewing today. The movie and the musical are both based off a real cabaret in Paris called Moulin Rouge. It opened in 1889 in Paris, and there was some cool background that we got at Broadway Buzz. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for example, at like one of the World's Fairs, there was this giant elephant that Paris had to like show all the great inventions that were there. The Moulin Rouge bought the elephant after and it was a part of their garden. So like during the day, 
like families would go in the park and like picnic around the elephant but inside the elephant there would be courtesans entertaining gentlemen callers if you will i like how you're shaking your shoulders like entertaining entertaining a gentleman caller that's how they entertain a gentleman caller they just shake their shoulders at them we're keeping the podcast pg yes that's how they entertain the gentleman caller if you get what i mean wink wink perfect all right so as we all know this musical centers on a artist named christian he is from ohio actually so shout out to the old ohio there funnily enough from lima ohio so i'm like glee Glee. (laughs) Glee everything goes back to glee Yes, the universe is just glee, apparently. I'm going to open up with my first real criticism of Moulin Rouge. You go in, and even the preset curtain, it's it's all just gorgeous. It's luscious reds and huge, bright, popping colors and light effects. It's The sets, like we've said three times now, are incredible. Because the show is set in eighteen late 1800s Paris, and they're using songs like Chandelier. Mr. Big Stuff and Chandelier and Burning Down the House. Bad romance. Yeah. Some of the mashups in this show are just odd. So we want to be very clear. Moulin Rouge is a jukebox musical. Mm-hmm. I know that, for example, with the time period, like Les Miserables, for example, is around the same time period. Mm-hmm. All original music that fits with the period. Now, I can I can jive with people, you know, like putting modern songs and things like in Bridgerton, for example, how they have the vitamin string quartet. Yeah, like they put that in there. Obviously, you can't do that for a Broadway musical, but some of it, it's almost like forced almost. We're having so much fun. I'm going to swing for the chandelier like. Yeah, there was some that worked really well. I'll get to those in a few minutes. I thought Satine singing Firework fit really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like some of them for the situations that the characters are going through, we'll get to those in a bit here. But in the opening number, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. There's 14 different songs that they mash up into just Welcome to the Moulin Rouge that at times you're like, okay, they literally were just, it was kind of like parts of it reminded me of the riff off in Pitch Perfect. Yeah, that's a perfect example of what it was like. Where they would stop on one word and they'd start another song that started with that same word. And some of it worked really, really well. Or some of them working where it was just a couple songs as duets, Mm -hmm. I think worked really well. But some of the bigger numbers where they mashed like a ton of songs together, I agree with that. It seemed forced. It seemed unnatural. And they didn't go with the time period. It'd be one thing if they used, you know, classical sounding music but used the words to bad romance in some of them change it somehow that it fits the time period a little better that was the biggest criticism I had of this show and that critics had of the show as well was that parts of it just didn't seem to make sense it felt disjointed in a way yeah in a way I felt that it kind of took away from some of it skipping ahead a little bit when Satine performs in the show and she's supposed to be meeting the Duke but she meets Christian instead like, for example, it's Shut Up and Dance by Walk the Moon, Raise Your Glass by Pink, and I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. They're such different songs. It's cool, I guess, that they found a way to put those together. But there's a reason that you may not hear those songs together because they don't really go together. And it kind of took away from the story and what was happening at the moment because I'm, I'm sitting here like, how are they relating Walk the Moon to Whitney Houston? And then I'm also like, why is this a mashup right now? I also feel like because you go from one two three four five numbers in a row that are at least four or five songs up to the 14 from the opening number mashups 
it just felt like a lot at the beginning of the show. It was mashup, 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 mashup. And then you finally get to Firework and they sing that song by itself and they get to your song and they sing that by itself. And that was a nice change of pace for me. I agree. Because by that point I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do any more mashups right now. And it was it was just a lot of mashups that didn't fit the time period. Sorry to interrupt. It was almost like they sat there and they were like, huh, we're at 13. Can we fit a 14th? And let's try it, guys. After a little bit, yeah, it really felt like they just want, they were like, oh, we were able to get the rights to part of this song. We have to put it somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Every time when they were doing a mashup and they'd start the next song in the mashup, people would start laughing, actually, in the yeah. audience. And I, I, at intermission, I turned to Julie and I was saying, are you noticing that people are laughing every time that they start a different part of the mashup? And Julie was like, yeah, I'm noticing that too. To bring that back, it was almost comedic how many songs they were putting into one mashup. Mm-hmm. And after a while, people just started laughing because it's like, oh, another one. Yeah. And so it kind of was good because even at the beginning of Act 2, they do Bad Romance, Tainted Love, Seven Nation Army, Toxic, and Sweet Dreams Are Made of This. I will say that was one of my favorite mashups in the show. It was a good one. But they even acknowledged gaga ooh la la they were like i feel like the lyrics could use some work here guys it didn't make sense in this show yeah some of it just felt more like they were trying to find the coolest mashup they could do which some of them were really awesome but some of them it was just like okay we we didn't need all these songs but yes we meet christian and we he's the narrator of this story and he's going back to tell you about how he met the love of his life satine so actually, a fun fact that we kind of learned at Broadway Buzz as well, um, Joe Gary mentioned that the story of Christian and Satine could kind of be like the story of Orpheus and Eurydice from Hades Town. They're kind of interlocked and intertwined in a way where it's very similar. Mm-hmm. And thinking of that going in, I'm like, yeah, it kind of is like, in my opinion, and I hope I don't get, you know, reamed for this too much. It was a more fun version of Hades Town. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Yeah, like a, like a, you know, star-crossed lovers mm-hmm. kind of thing. Tragic at the end, you know. Yeah. We had in this production, Courtney Reed played Satine. She's the original Jasmine from Broadway. She also was in the OG lineup of the Broadway Princess Party. Now called Disney Princess the Concert. Because they bought the rights and kicked Laura Osnes out. Rightfully so. Yeah. but So we've seen her before. We saw her once in Broadway Princess Party. And she's really good. She was a good Satine. We had John Cardoza playing Christian. Oh, my goodness. His voice. So we discussed this. When we were reading the playbill before the show, we saw, oh, John Cardoza is the original Noah in the Notebook musical. It is coming to Broadway, as far as I believe. He is playing Christian in the touring production until the notebook is ready, apparently. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I thought, I'm like, oh, did he leave that to do this? And I mean, his voice needs to be on Broadway. He was... And busy. Yeah, he was phenomenal as Christian. Right off the bat, Christian meets his two best friends, Toulouse and Santiago. Um, Toulouse was played by Nick Rashad Burroughs, and he honestly might have been my favorite in this show. I agree. I'm sure when we come back to our highlights of the season, I'm going to mention Nick a lot because I thought he played the character so well. I totally believed everything he was doing, saying, and singing. Yeah, he was kind of he was had an interesting character Toulouse is an interesting character because he's part comic relief part voice of reason yes 
when you need something a little bit uplifting, him and Santiago are there to be like the chummy buddies who are pretty funny and to lift Christian up or to provide that moment of relief in a show that some of this stuff is pretty serious and sad. But he's also a voice of reason because later in the show, when Christian's fully down the sateen rabbit hole, he's like, dude, you need to just get over this girl. Yeah. Like, here's a drink. Yeah. <laughs> like, get out of here because it's not going to happen for you. So, yeah, I really enjoyed Nick's performance in this show. We also had Austin Durant playing Harold Ziedler in the show. He's kind of the MC, the MC of the Moulin Rouge. Yes. Yeah, he's the owner of the Moulin Rouge who is desperately trying to keep his club open. The show, the first song you get in that giant mashup at the beginning of the show is Lady Marmalade, the version from the 2001 movie with Pink and Christina Aguilera and Maya and Little Kim. Libby Loy, who plays Nini in the show. I'll get back to her character in a second because there was some stuff that confused me about her character. Yeah. We had Harper Mills, who played La Chocolat, and we had Nikki Claspell, who played Arabia, and Andres Quintero, who played Baby Doll. They were like the four that came out and sang. Mm-hmm. I really liked that. They even had some of them, Nikki's hair kind of was reminiscent of Christina Aguilera's in the music video, and the mm-hmm. outfits were very similar. And I liked that shout out mm-hmm. to something from the movie because the set for that music video was kind of similar to the set we saw. In the opening. very directly inspired by the set from the music video Mm -hmm. is the first set you saw on the show. Mm -hmm. And it was a nice callback. If you're a fan of the movie, you're going to really like that because it was kind of similar to the movie as well. Mm -hmm. The music video was. Yeah. Yeah. So you meet all of the big players pretty much immediately. Mm -hmm. Harold instantly is like, oh, I've got a way we can save the Moulin Rouge. The Duke of Monroth is coming he was played by andrew brewer who played a really good villain in this show yeah he he's not there to make friends and he came out and did what he was supposed to do and so harold's idea is oh if we can have satine get with the duke he can just you know foot the bill for everything because he's so in love with our sparkling diamond she is the main attraction at the moulin rouge and instantly Christian sees her. Toulouse is trying to get him to pitch a play idea that they could put on at the Moulin Rouge because they are Santiago and Toulouse and they've pulled Christian and are bohemian. They are artists. They live for art. Their mantra is truth, beauty, freedom, love. That's the four tenets that they live by. So basically, as long as they are fulfilling those four tenets in their life, they consider themselves fulfilled. They don't need money. They need truth, beauty, freedom, and love. Their idea is that they can put on this play at the Moulin Rouge. It can make them some money that they can live on, but that's not They the... want to be immortalized through their art, mm-hmm. and that's what they think this play will do. Yeah. And so Harold pulls Satine aside after her big number and is like, hey, that dude over there is a duke and in the corner booth there. They instantly are looking at two opposite corners. In one corner is the actual Duke. In the other one is Christian. And Satine looks at Christian's booth and goes, oh, what a handsome Duke. Yeah, I can seduce this guy. Got you, baby doll. Like, got this. Bye. You also can see pretty early on that Satine is sick. Yeah. She's coughing a lot. Every time that she is not directly speaking, she's at her vanity or in a corner taking a sip of something that looks like a cough syrup bottle almost. Mm -hmm. Instantly, you know, something's not right with Satine. She invites who she thinks is the Duke, which is Christian, up to her room inside the elephant, which again, a beautiful set. Yes. Her apartment and dressing room was in the head of the elephant that we had mentioned earlier. So that's where it is. I was like, I would love if that was my apartment. Like, ooh, it's pretty. Yeah, gorgeous pinks and purples in there. When she is in there with Christian, Toulouse and Santiago come in like, yes, let us pitch this show. And she's like, wait, are you not a Duke? And he goes, Duke, not me. And the actual Duke walks in with Harold. And immediately they're like, oh, no, this looks really bad that she's in here with three dudes by herself. And they're like, no, 
yes oh no we are going to pitch a show and off the cuff they come up with a different show that they were practicing to present to the duke who agrees to foot the bill as long as he can have some quality time with Satine. And also, later on, approaches Harold and goes, I don't just want Satine. I want everything. I want to own the Moulin Rouge and everybody in it. Obviously, Harold can't afford to keep the place open without the Duke agrees. Yes. During this time, Satine and Christian fall in love really quickly. Yeah, that was one thing that I was kind of confused about because um, I guess it's parallel that we've been talking about Hades Town. You saw, like, over seasons, Eurydice and Orpheus, you know, developed their relationship and fell in love. It was, like, literally a me, like, Christian and Satine are like, I love you. Especially for Satine, where the whole time she's going, I'm bad. You don't want to be anywhere near me. Then she's like, F it. Okay. <laughs> because Act 1 pretty much takes place in one night. And that's what was confusing, because it was literally, he arrives in Paris, he meets Satine, and they are in love by the end of the work day here in the Moulin Rouge. So as this progresses, they decide that yes, Satine is going to continue seeing the Duke for money. The Moulin Rouge needs money. Satine also knows that she can't sing and dance and be a sparkling diamond forever. So she's using the Duke as a get out of jail free card of, okay, once I age out of this, I need someone to foot the bill for me. The Duke suits that pretty perfectly and the duke seems fine with that if i keep him happy i'm set for the rest of my life Mm -hmm. however the duke wants her to be no one else's but him so satine and christian decide they're going to see each other behind the duke's back and that's where act one ends with the most i will say and i know i said overall this that's the most people the most beautiful set in the show happens during it's called the elephant love medley after christian and satine decide that yes we're gonna be together i love you so much it's the night sky. It's a sparkling Eiffel Tower. Mm-hmm. Both Christian and Satine are in these beautiful sparkling outfits. There's all of these beautiful night lights and sparkles and everything. Mm-hmm. Hands down the most beautiful set I've ever seen in my life. It was absolutely amazing and it was the perfect way to end act one yeah a big shout out to the costumes in this show because yes the moulin rouge is a gentleman's club so you have girls up there in full-on lingerie but all of satine's costumes were gorgeous her show Mm -hmm. costumes sparkled from head to toe she really was sparkling like a diamond in this show she was at any opportunity so we open act two and this is where i'm talking about the character of nini was a bit confusing to me Because in the first act, she doesn't really do that much. She's more of an ensemble member to me. She's got a couple lines here and there. The four that opened the show with Lady Marmalade are kind of Satine's girl squad that hang out with her. They have little lines here and there, but that's all Nini did at the beginning. Pretty much, you could tell she was very jealous of Satine. She admits she's jealous of Satine. Mm -hmm. But that's about it in Act 1. She doesn't really do anything. Act 2 comes and it's like she's, oh, I'm a main character now. Because her and Santiago, while they're practicing for their show, called Bohemian Rhapsody. Because Santiago is the choreographer of the show. Mm -hmm. They're falling in love now. So there's more than one backstage romance happening at the Moulin Rouge. And it was just really funny because it's all of a sudden like, oh, snap. Nope, she's, she's with him now and they're in love and really she is fun good. she is good now and she is satine's best friend where in act one she was like i'm so jealous of you and i do anything to be the sparkling diamond and then yeah that, that didn't resolve i guess it resolved itself who knows yeah they apparently just became besties backstage during intermission which was something that i thought was a bit odd so although i guess i will say i do like that for once it didn't go with the oh these girls are jealous of each other and they're gonna be have a cat fight kind of thing i guess it's good that maybe they just both matured and got along after that yeah i would have liked to see it though yeah because it did seem very 180 just 
very because quick. of intermission because yes. it's supposed to be a few months later like at this two point mo- two months later christian says at the beginning of the act yeah so christian is a teen are continuing to see each other and christian is becoming more and more jealous because every time he sees Satine with the duke he's just thinking about oh but she really loves me he's like obsessed it's an obsession almost mm-hmm. oh it's not almost he's obsessed and the show itself has very similar storylines to what's happening in this musical the main girl is being forced to choose between love or having someone quote-unquote own her and the duke's sitting there this whole time and at first it's more he's worried about Satine looking her best oh She's playing a beggar woman, but shouldn't she have some diamonds dripping off of her? Yes, her costumes are drab was the, at first the Duke's complaint. And then after a while, he sees Satine and Christian kind of off in a corner talking and laughing about something. It starts to click with them like, oh, this is literally what's going on right now. Yeah. And so everyone's trying to help them hide this affair because they know that if they're found out and the Duke leaves Satine, they're all screwed. Well, plus, too, Nini comes in this act being a good friend really and is like Satine you gotta stop this the last woman that the duke was with was a beautiful gorgeous model this model was seeing someone else a photographer behind the duke's back so the photographer ended up with his throat slit in the Seine River and then mysteriously someone attacked the model with acid on her face so she could never model again and she was horribly disfigured and homeless now because she crossed the duke there's underlines of the duke actually is evil he's not just being like a slighted guy he actually isn't good however he is actively offering satine he takes her out into his world in act two and says all of this can be yours you have to give up literally everything though no more costumes in this section i'm sorry were very reminiscent of the horse race in my fair lady Mm -hmm. i agree yeah they were very regency era Mm -hmm. and fancy and Mm -hmm. you know pinky out kind of thing except for satine's which was a blood red and gorgeous yes stood out just like eliza did though Mm -hmm. but yeah so he shows her all of these beautiful things shows her the townhouse that will be hers as long as she agrees to after they open the show to leave the moulin rouge and to leave everyone from the moulin rouge behind and satine is actively going i think that's what's going to happen because satine knows she is ill she knows that she can't continue singing and dancing too much longer and that the duke is her last chance to get out of there with Mm -hmm. a stable future yes so we start to get to the point where it's the breaking point for christian Satine comes into a rehearsal dressed to the nines in, you know, fancy clothes, not dressed at all like her character that she's playing and not dressed at all like he's used to seeing Satine. And he's seeing that, okay, I'm actively losing her now. And he starts to snap at rehearsal. And I will say one thing I liked about this show is that it did not take itself too seriously Mm -hmm. because it would be very easy for the actors in this show to lean fully into the drama of the show and make it like a soap opera because I'll be the first to admit The actors in the show take the book and make it a comedy, basically, which I liked. Parts of it were very serious. We'll get to some of that here in a bit. I was happy when they were rehearsing the fake play. They are doing a terrible overacting on purpose. Oh, I could not. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, like they're not taking themselves too seriously because they know, okay, this has to be the comic relief part of this play. Because if we come in here doing our best work that would get us booked in a show otherwise, like this is going to look awful. Mm -hmm. They had to lean into the comedic parts of it. And I'm glad they did that. But we get to this part where there is a breaking point for Christian. He is seeing Satine making the same decisions as her character in the show and basically lays it all out there of like this isn't you you're in love with me not him 
The Duke is not happy about that. They leave rehearsal. Christian immediately goes into, you know, self-loathing because Satine basically is just like, get out of here, Christian. I need to do this for me. Yeah. So to loosen Santiago to try to make him feel better, give him a bunch of absinthe, which was really cool in the show. Absinthe is a green alcoholic beverage for people who don't know what it is. In the show, though... It was almost like this. It looked radioactive. Yeah. It was glowing green. And every time someone poured absinthe into their cup on it, it would start glowing. And when they drink it, it would disappear. That was really cool. Yeah, I liked that too. It was like one of those simple things where you're just like shiny, yeah. shiny again. It was really, I liked that a lot too. They put a lot of work into making sure that you, your eyes always were darting back and forth. Yeah. At times it was kind of like, oh my gosh, it's so much. But like, I loved it. Christian gets really drunk, but still only pictures Satine, which is where he sings that. Roxanne the chandelier tango and all that that option up that you've if you go on TikTok and just search Aaron Tveit Roxanne you'll know what we're talking about it's a really big number for Christian and John did a phenomenal job during this number he that was probably the biggest applause of the show was after that number so if you're into uh what is known in the community as slime tutorials which is bootlegs of shows you'll even find that they do comparisons of the Roxanne option up between usually it's Aaron Tveit and Derek Kletta who is currently playing Christian on Broadway there are some with John Cardoza in it too they're very interesting to watch because everyone approaches the character really different it's cool to see yeah I like that too when you compare people who've played that was like when we did we saw Anastasia twice we compared Mm -hmm. the two Anyas and found things that we liked and disliked from each of them which is that's always really cool to go back and compare those kinds of things interesting how actors approach the same character differently Mm -hmm. Some of them find little nuances that are just so different and unique that you're like, oh, I never thought of it that way. After that Roxanne came my personal favorite mashup of the show. It was Crazy by Gnarls Barkley and Rolling in the Deep by Adele. Christian sang Crazy while Satine sang Rolling in the Deep and they paired really well together. I liked that more as a mashup duet better than just line from a song, line from a song, line from a song. No one laughed at that mashup. Yeah. It was really good because at that point, Christian had showed up at the Duke's house drunk and was like, Satine, let's run away together. And the Duke had already said that if he couldn't have Satine, no one could, and that he would actively kill Christian if she chose him over the Duke. And so Satine basically went, Christian, I never loved you. Get out of here. Why would I choose you over this Duke who's rich and handsome and perfect in every way, even though he is actively about to abuse me? Yep. (laughs) That was my favorite mashup of the show because Christian is actually going crazy in the show there is a time in the show where the two characters who are also going through the exact same thing where the one says that he's going to kill the girl rather than have her be with someone she shouldn't be with because she doesn't love christian has decided that he's going to take that into his own hands and on opening night of the show he's going to kill himself on stage because if satine doesn't love him there is no point in going on in christian's mind they hid this really well because at first i was like oh my god he's going to shoot satine So it was shocking when the time came. I'm like, oh, he's turning the gun toward himself? What? (laughs) Yeah. And at this point in the show, Satine admits to everyone backstage at the Moulin Rouge, except for Christian, who has not shown up yet for opening night because he's going crazy, that she has consumption and is actively dying. Everyone is immediately like, we need to take you to the hospital. You need to be seeing a doctor. And she says, I have to let the world see Christian's music. I'll go to the hospital after we open the show. 
And so everyone is basically like, okay, we'll carry you through this show. Like they are literally moving her from place to place on stage because she is so weak at this point. I, we didn't even mention this. Toulouse was the voice of reason in the show because he also fell in love with Satine at a young age. He goes, her father has been making her turn tricks since she was 13. Now she's the star at the Moulin Rouge. Like everyone loves her, myself included. And so they have a really nice moment in the show where they're like, oh my gosh, we have to do this for him because he knows Satine is dying as well. And they're just like, look at what has become of us, but we can still save Christian. So like, we should do that. And yeah. I just really loved that moment in the show. Cause that was another thing. I really liked the character of Toulouse for that reason, because he immediately can go from like making everyone laugh on stage to having really heartfelt moments like that. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. So the show has begun. Everything is going to plan. And Christian comes on stage and you can just tell this, this boy is unhinged. Yes. He was, he was in his unhinged era. <laughs> and so when, he turns the gun on himself and Satine sees that he is going to kill himself. She starts to sing their song. They have a song in the show that they only sing to one another. And she sings that song and Christian realizes that she loves him and that everything she did wasn't to hurt him. It was to try to protect him because Satine at this point has already told the Duke to F off because she's dying anyway. He doesn't know she's dying, but she's just like, but what are you going to do? Kill me? Yeah. So she had, before the curtain went up, told the Duke to F off, basically. And Satine then dies on stage in Christian's arms, which I was like, this is dramatic. It, it was very, very intense. Mm -hmm. Once again, bringing in the tragedy, like the end of Hades Town, Eurydice is stuck in Hades for forever now. Mm -hmm. Satine is dead. Yeah, so it definitely does have parallels. Or you could even pull in a Les Mis where, like, pretty much everyone dies yeah, in really Les Mis. Or you could bring in a Romeo and Juliet. Romeo saw Juliet was dead, killed himself. Juliet wasn't dead, so she killed herself. Yeah. Very tragic, but it's it, a great love story, but a lot of them end in tragedy. Yeah, and so you get, basically, you get that kind of sentiment from Christian because he's like, literally, I was depressed for forever. And then one day I sat down and wrote a love song for Satine even though she's gone and that's how the show ends the Bohemian Rhapsody the show that they were performing became a hit and it saved the Moulin Rouge so the Duke did not have to be their benefactor anymore Harold was able to keep possession of the Moulin Rouge himself then they came out at the end and they did another giant mashup one two three four five six seven eight songs in this one I liked the ending mashup just because it was really fun and it was a cool way for them to do their bows because they did it as part of their bows as well it was kind of like what's known as a mega mix in musical theater for example joseph and the amazing technical or dream coat six the musical kind of do them at the end it's almost like a recap of the biggest songs in the show done in one mashup together so it's a very common thing in musical theater and that's why for me that mashup worked because it was a mega mix yeah and it was the end of the show and they were doing their bows in the midst of it yeah that one made sense for me and they did a can can at the end of the show they did because the moulin rouge was famous for inventing the can can that's if you hear moulin rouge i know there's that girl on tiktok that she's an american and she mm -hmm. dances at the moulin rouge now that she always talks about how they have to get ready for the can-can and stretch out for the can-can because that's that's where the can-can came from was the Moulin Rouge in Paris. So yeah, I mean, overall, I really did enjoy this production. High highs and lows, but I think it is worth the ticket price alone just for the visuals because it is gorgeous. It's a gorgeous show. So I would say when we were leaving the show, and we, I want to preface this by saying we don't say bad things because you never know who's walking or sitting around you. I never be like, oh my god, she sucked or whatever. Because you, what if their mom was there? We we tend to say before we get to our cars, very positive things until we get there. Once we got to our cars, though, I said this is probably the best show with the worst book. 
if they could find some way to kind of revamp the book and maybe kind of tighten up the mashups, in my opinion, I think this could be an even bigger success than it has been on Broadway. Because the sets, they find the strongest actors to do it. I will say, as a testament to all of them, there was not one, quote, bad person in this show. Everyone brought their A game. Yeah. As far as a touring cast goes, this is one of the strongest casts we've seen on a, in touring production of anything. Yeah, and I mean, even the choreography. The choreography mm-hmm. was stellar in this show. There are They're moving the whole time. Yeah, I agree. Um, the book from the show is not super strong. I think the biggest problem is all of the mashups, though. I think... Even if the book was exactly the same and they kind of, like you said, tightened up those the mashups. Book, from what I from what I have heard of the musical and what I've seen through reviews and stuff, the book, like the actual like dialogue and lines actually sticks pretty well to the movie, which I can respect that they adapted it very faithfully. But yeah, when I say book, I mostly am talking about the libretto, which is mm-hmm. the music. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, they even had Baz Luhrmann on as a, they, I think they billed him as a creative consultant because yes. they literally, parts of it, like, visual-wise and parts of the movie were copy-paste from what they did. We do have some tragic news here on the Twins on Tour podcast. I'm so mad about this, man. You heard us fangirl actively on our Tina Turner episode that we were going to see come from away. It has been canceled due to scheduling conflicts, which I am... I am perplexed about that because I'm sitting here like this has been scheduled for more than a year. How can there be a conflict? (laughs) Yeah. So Come From Away, Cleveland Stop has been completely canceled. There has been no word on if or when it will be rescheduled. So we will not be doing an episode on Come From Away. Come From Away has to be experienced in person. That is the best way. If you absolutely cannot go to the theater and see it, the pro shot's amazing. It's a great way to access theater from anywhere. But if you're able, if Come From Away is going to your city and does not have scheduling conflicts, please go see that show. Yeah, it, it should have won the Tony. So our next episode will be the one that we have been most excited for since this season was announced. Six! Six. Please cast us, Toby yeah. and Lucy. Yes. <laughs> yeah, clearly we are ingenues. Hire me. <laughs> yeah. But Six the Musical will be our next episode. We are so, so excited because not only are we Broadway nerds, we are Tudor history nerds. Yeah. So this is really the best of both worlds for us. Follow us on TikTok at Twins on Tour 1, on Twitter at Twins on Tour 1, and Instagram the.twins.on.tour1. And you can find us on Facebook, the Twins on Tour podcast. All right. I'm Julie Book. I'm Jenny Bradley. And this is the, the Twins, Twins on, on Tour, Tour podcast. podcast. Okay, I don't know why I put create you. I don't know why I went creatures. The movie theater butter. <laughs> and the movie theater butter sounded like a very angry, like you better say this. Show. I'm very, I'm very adamant that this is the most beautiful set that I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> That's how you guys all will know out there listening that Jenny really is kind at heart because she literally just went, "Oh my god, did that sound too angry?" <laughs> Two main characters of Christian and Santine. Satine. Satine, okay. You're saying Fontine. I know. You're Satine. I was like, I'm just thinking for the blooper reel. Satine.